so the plan today is we're going to have um, about, fingers crossed, 15 minutes of me teaching. Uh, someone can time it and then tell me if I go over. Um, hopefully it'll be 15 minutes of teaching and 15 minutes of discussion. Um, but we might go a little longer on discussion. I've got a bit of feedback from folk in the room and people have been joining the discussion groups. We're going to maybe make a little bit of extra time for them. We'll see how it goes. But um, uh, one of the purposes of doing that is, well, there's many, a few, a few reasons for doing discussion groups. Um, uh, I was going to speak to this later, but um, uh, one of the main reasons is obviously to help us actually engage with the text help us engage with the series that we're in, in the Gospel of John. Another reason is just to foster community and connection with one another, and also to create a little bit of an on-ramp for potentially launching tables or home groups in the new year. And we may be able to do those in homes, we may not, um, but we hope to begin them in some shape or form. Perhaps they'll meet here for a while, perhaps they'll be in homes, we'll play all that by ear. But that's kind of where we want to go, and we want to reform, relaunch, get going again in our small groups, we call those tables, in the new year. Um, hopefully when you're registered for this week, you'll have seen there's a few questions um, along those lines, saying whether you'd be interested in joining one or hosting one or even leading one. Um, we'll continue to do a little bit of work between now and then just to gather uh, a sense of interest. Um, but hopefully um, all of you, if not the majority, will be keen to get connected to one of those. So this, what we're doing, why we're doing discussion groups on Sundays, is as an on-ramp to that. That's one of the reasons. And we'll play this by ear, go for uh, this week and next week in our series. Um, and we may continue to do some of these like this, or we may return back to more of a 25-minute preach. We'll see how it goes. But that's really why we're doing it. So today, uh, we're in uh, the Gospel of John again, um, the series Friends with God. Stephanie was supposed to be leading this week. You can think of her. She had a last-minute family responsibility to step into this week. So she's going to speak next week, um, the final week of our series. Today, I'm going to speak on John 21, one of my favorite uh, passages in Scripture. Um, hopefully, it will come up on the screen when I read it in a moment. But feel free to use the Bibles in front of you to look it up now. John 21, verse 12. And as you do that, I suppose I'll set up the story in the Gospel of John that we're going to get into this morning, that we're going to be discussion, discussing in a short time. So when it comes to faith, the question I suppose is, is I mean, there's a, the endless question that people have throughout the centuries have asked, what really constitutes faith? Um, we think about faith, is it holding uh, the right kind of doctrinal beliefs? Is that what faith is? Is, is it subscribing to a particular moral law? Um, is it um, practicing certain rituals or is there something in addition to that or beyond that? Is it possible to know God? That's the question we've been asking that this series has been asking. We as humans are wired for relationship, wired for intimacy. All of our desires, all of our longings point to that one truth, to this one truth, to be known, to know and to be known to know and to be known. Let me say that again. All of our desires and longings point to this truth, to know and to be known. All of our desires and all of our longings land there. So what does that mean about faith? How do we, can we know God? How can we know God? That's the question we've been trying to attempt to think about, reflect upon in the series Friends with God. And the truth is, that God knows us and wants us to know him. And just that single sentence alone should fill us with a sense of, of excitement. That the Christian faith is a relational faith. That faith is in a person, not in a religion. How do we know this? 
Well, this series is based upon a, a book by a friend of mine called Called to be Friends. If you want to do a deep dive, it's a beautiful book by Ian Galloway. Um, he's preached here, led a New Frontiers Church in Newcastle, and he's written a lovely book called Called to be Friends, unlocking uh, the heart of the Gospel of John. And this series is rooted in the Gospel of John in particular because John's Gospel was written so that we can know Jesus. The other Gospels tell the story of Jesus, the events, the sermons, the sayings, the facts, the miracles. But John's Gospel, as I've been gleaning from Ian and his study over many years in his book, the heart of John's Gospel in particular is so that we can know Jesus and that Jesus longs for us to know him. It's captured in this beautiful uh, verse in John 15, 15. Hopefully it'll come up. It says, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. Beautiful words of Jesus. Jesus came to make God known to us. This is Christian Theology 101. In fact, we have been called to be friends with Jesus. It sounds corny, but I want to get past that corniness, like relationship with Christ. And friendship with Jesus means friendship with God. Knowing Jesus means knowing God. Christian theology teaches us that God has a face. And God's face looks like Christ. When we see the face of Christ, we see the face of God. The beauty of God is fully seen and realized in Jesus the Christ who came to be, walk among us uh, 2,000 years ago. We celebrate that, of course, the incarnation during Advent season, and we'll be beginning that in a few weeks' time. The beauty of God is fully seen in the face of Christ, and we see the face of Christ as it is revealed to us, and it's not revealed to us by information or by facts. It's revealed to us by revelation of the Holy Spirit, a knowledge and knowing in our hearts that's given to us by the Spirit. Here is the thing, as we gaze on the face of Jesus, as we get to know this Jesus, we actually are transformed to become more like Jesus. This kind of transformation, as we get to know Jesus, as we look to Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And this transformation is the full work of salvation. It's a lifelong journey of following Christ and becoming more and more like Christ. Some of you will say, yep, the Old Testament says that you could not see the face of God and live, and that is true. But the New Testament has said that it is only by seeing the face of God in Christ that we live. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, for it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the incarnation. This is the heart of Christian theology. When we think about God, we think about Christ. We are a Jesus-centered community here gathering around Christ. And so can we know Christ? Well, this morning I want to dive into this story um, very, very briefly, hopefully, in John's Gospel. It's one of my favorite passages. Let me read it in John 21. It's an encounter between Peter, Simon Peter, and Jesus. 
It happens after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. It's opening at verse 10. It should be on your screens. Follow along in your Bibles. Verse 10 of chapter 21. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that verse. (laughs) Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Come and have breakfast. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Have a think, what did you have? Porridge and a croissant, (laughs) cup of coffee. Who made it for you? Who did you have it with? Maybe you made it for yourself. Maybe uh, you made it for someone else. Maybe you ate it alone or on the go, in the car. Maybe you just had it in, in the form of a cup of coffee at the back of the room. Breakfast, this is the image we have in John 21, breakfast. Here we have Jesus, the resurrected Christ, making breakfast for his friends on the beach. What a beautiful image. Jesus Christ resurrected, making breakfast for his friends on the beach. If, if Jesus resurrected is, as the scriptures say, the first fruits of the new creation, the first fruits of this redeemed world, then what a beautiful image of new creation that having breakfast with friends on the beach is. I love that image. But to understand the story, we need to go back a little bit. The story centers on Simon Peter. Peter was the leader of Jesus' band of co-conspirators. He was one of the three closest to Jesus. Along with the other disciples, he'd spent three years following this rabbi who they had come to see was the Messiah, the one Israel and the Jewish people had been waiting for. Peter was one of that crew. He was looking to Christ three years. They'd experienced life together on the road. They'd witnessed countless miracles, healings, teachings, sermons, at hundreds of meals together, shared stories and dreams of what the kingdom of God was to look like. It was all going so well. And then at the beginning of what we now know as Jesus' passion, Easter week, that all began to crumble. Because in passion, the week began on a high, of course, with Jesus entering on a donkey into Jerusalem. 
and this sense of the Messiah coming home, Peter, along with all the other disciples, would have been thinking, finally, we get to have our day. People have thought we're crazy following this rabbi Jesus on the way for three years. Now he's coming into the Jewish world, Jerusalem. He's going to overthrow the the religious rulers. He's going to overthrow the rulers of the empire. He's going to bring freedom like the prophets have prophesied to God's people. Three years in the making, this holy takeover This righteous rebellion that, as I say, the prophets and the teachers of the law had spoken about for centuries was about to go down, or so they thought, so Peter thought. But what followed, as we know, was a week of disappointment and delusionment after disappointment and delusionment. Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. He was mocked by the crowds. Even his own people, the Jews, He was called a blasphemer. He was tried in a kangaroo court with no defense. He was sentenced. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was trailed outside the city and subjected to the Roman emperor's death row execution, which is crucifixion. And all the hopes of three years built up for the kingdom of God to come through Christ, through Jesus. Three years for what? In the midst of it all, Jesus' followers and friends, they scatter. Some betrayed him, some stood by him, many were distraught. It seemed like the dream of this kingdom of God coming was over because Christ had been killed. Fast forward a week or two later, and here we are having breakfast on the beach with the resurrected Jesus. Peter is, in fact. We're not. Peter is. This special piece of scripture, I love this story. And in the time that has passed, Jesus has actually risen from the grave. He has appeared to his disciples twice. And the dream is back on, I guess. There's confusion. What does this mean? What does this look like? But it's like we're excited. We're alive. The disciples are ecstatic. They're alive. But imagine Simon Peter's feelings, though, because we know the story. Imagine the mixed emotions that Peter would have had about the resurrection, about the resurrected Christ. Of course, Peter was glad that Jesus was alive, but don't forget that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter had failed, and he'd failed quite miserably. Peter and John had followed Jesus after his arrest to the house of Caiaphas. John followed closely, and Peter lagged further behind. Because John came from a prominent family, he was known, the family was known to the high priest, so John was able to get access to the courtyard, and he got his friend John, John got his friend Peter in as well, so John and Peter got into the courtyard, and that's where it happened. We know the story, the denial, not once, not twice, but three times, and with an oath, Peter denied this Christ he'd been following for three years. Remember too that John was there and John witnessed this betrayal. John witnessed this event. John witnessed when Peter's courage failed, when he was challenged by someone sitting around the courtyard. You were with Christ and Peter said no three times. John witnessed this. Even years later as an old man, as John remembers back and tells the story, he'll remember aspects of that night in vivid detail, he will have remembered that it was cold because in Jerusalem, April nights are cold. 
often in the 40s. And John remembers that there was a fire in the courtyard, a fire of coals. The Greek word is anthrakia. This is only used twice in the New Testament. It means a bed of coals or a fire, anthrakia. Keep it in mind. The kind of fire that's good to warm yourself at night on a cold night. And it was while standing around the hot fire of coals on a cold night that Peter was asked if he knew Jesus of Nazareth and he denied him, just as Jesus had predicted. And the rooster crowed and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Fast forward to the beach breakfast and no wonder I'm sure Peter is conflicted because Jesus is risen, hallelujah, and John 21 tells of Jesus appearing this morning. In fact, Jesus had sent the disciples out of Jerusalem to, to Galilee and while waiting, while waiting, not sure what he was waiting on that morning, he decided to go out fishing. That's where we picked up the story in John 21. And so Peter and six other fishermen went out to fish. And of course, Peter was a professional fisherman. So this didn't happen very often. And that night they caught nothing. Do you remember that happened one other time where they went out fishing and they caught nothing? It was three years earlier and it was the night before Jesus had called Peter as his disciple to come follow me. Deja vu happening all over again. Then in the morning, there's a man on the beach asking them, have you any fish? No. He gives them some advice and they catch 153 fish. And then John sees this man and says, it's the Lord. And Peter swims to Jesus. And when they had hauled this fresh catch ashore, 153 fish, that's when Jesus said, come, have breakfast. And there they found a coal fire. The Greek word used there, anthrakia. The symmetry of John is beautiful. The bed of coals. Jesus had recreated the scene of the crime. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt like? Having denied and betrayed Jesus, I'm sure he ate his breakfast with a troubled mind. But what happens next is remarkable. Jesus and Peter, I imagine, go for a walk. And following all that has happened, following all of Peter's guilt, shame, sense of failure. Jesus restores him with words of love and grace, words of encouragement, words of life. It completely turns Peter's life around. The word love is used six times in the passage. There's actually two different Greek words for the six words. One is agape and one is philio. So let me read the dialogue between Jesus and Peter on the walk. They've just had breakfast. They've got bread and fish in their bellies. They've been fed. They're on this walk. Let me read this translation, which will maybe draw out the two different meanings of love. It'll come up on the screen. Simon, son of Jonah, do you really have a greater love for me than the rest of these disciples do? Peter, Lord, you know I'm your friend. Jesus, feed my sheep. Simon, son of Jonah, do you have unfailing love for me? Peter, Lord, you know I'm your friend. Jesus, take care of my sheep. Jesus, Simon, son of Jonah, are you my friend? 
Peter very upset. Lord, you know everything and you know I am your friend. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus and Peter talk some more. And Jesus says, follow me. Friendship, relationship, connection, community, forgiveness. A beautiful, beautiful story. Probably my favorite in all of scripture is breakfast on the beach with Jesus. This Peter is the one that Jesus called the rock upon whom that he would build his church. And three times, mirroring the denial, he invites Peter, he commands Peter to feed my sheep, follow me. One sentence at a time, he rebuilds Peter back up again, inviting him to be his friend, inviting him back into good relationship, good friendship, reminding him of their relationship Jesus knows Peter and longs for Peter to know him, be set free, to move forward in the story into God's good future, to be the rock that the church was built upon. It is truly a remarkable, beautiful encounter, and it speaks as a great example of what the Gospel of John is all about. Can we know God? Can we know Jesus? We know then that Peter goes on. He goes on to be a leader, significant leader in establishing, leading and establishing the early church, over, through, over, overseeing the expansion and the growth of the early church from Jerusalem right through the whole of that nation to the ends of the earth. And himself, as it said in that strange verse at the end, which we read, he was also crucified. Jesus reminds him after he says, uh, feed my sheep three times. He says, by the way, you're going to die in the same way I did, which seems like quite morbid, but actually it's a very honoring thing. Peter, you are going to follow in my footsteps. We know that he led the church and we know that he was crucified as a martyr himself, all flowing out from this beautiful, restored friendship and love with Jesus. Restored on the beach, over fish, cooked on a fire, breakfast. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, follow me. We're going to, with that thought, move into discussion groups to reflect further upon that story, what that story means for this idea that we can know God, that we can have friendship, communion, relationship with God, what that means for us in our failures, what that means for us in our lives.